Well, welcome again. My name is Chris Lane. It's the holiday season has started, and of course, lots of people are away on holiday. And you may be here because you are on holiday. You know, you may have come and visiting family, whoever and why ever and whatever you're doing here. It's great to have you here. Uh, we've been preaching uh, a series this year. This year, we've kind of earmarked as much as anything about really kind of grow up and grow deeper into the whole business of prayer and intercession. We were paid a lovely compliment the other week. Uh, I had a student from uh, Oak Hill College, uh, which is a very conservative evangelical college, I might add, uh, and he was here on placement. It was quite unusual. We don't normally have students from that college because they are so conservative, so evangelical, uh, and we're charismatic evangelical, of course. And uh, he followed me down around. He was a delightful chap, and we, we did enjoy having him, didn't we? And the team enjoyed having him, and he was asked all sorts of great questions and made us think. But he wrote me a little note afterwards just thanking me, which was very sweet. And he said something which I, I regard as a very high compliment. He said, you know what? I come from a tradition where it's common to say we should pray about that, or we must pray about that, or I will pray about that, or whatever like that. He says, what I notice about being at Vineyard, as I work with the staff, as I went to the ministries, that you really do pray. And you will stop in the middle of doing whatever you're doing to pray. And I thought, oh, my. You know, of all the things he could have said, like the coffee was nice, or the donuts was nice, or the preaching was awesome, he, what he said was, you guys are a praying church, and I am so thrilled about that. So, you know, thank God that he's showing us grace, and we are learning more about prayer and intercession. So, today I am uh, resuming something I started two weeks ago, if you were here, called, uh, it's under this day and night until uh, series uh, but I did a sort of a, a little, it's going to be a three-parter actually, called Grander Vision Living, looking at the book of Ephesians. And I think we got off to a pretty good start. You were, you know, you were very kind, you, you made various comments about it, and you can catch up with that if you missed it uh, on, on the podcasts, of, of, of course. So I'm going to continue that today, Grander Vision Living, and a couple of opening comments that I, I want to make about this, just to help us to contextualize this. The first is this, that... You know, the, if, if there are many, many uh, exciting, indeed, one might call them key verses in the book of Ephesians. It's almost certainly one of my favorite books in the scriptures. But a verse that really pops, a verse that really kind of expresses something very close to the heart of what Paul, the apostle who wrote Ephesians, of course, is trying to say, is verse um, 1, verse, uh, chapter, uh, verses 9 and, and 10, which says this, and I think... Uh, it's going to go up on the screen. Uh, and this kind of summarizes the whole purpose of the book. He says, and he made known to us, God made known to us, the church, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Basically what he's saying was there has been a mystery, something that has been hidden in the heart of God, something he planned to do before the very dawn of time, before the very creation of the world. It has been God's little secret. But now that secret, that mystery, has been made known to us, his church, and we are bearers of that secret. We call it the gospel, a little bit more of that later on. And it goes on to say, and this mystery, in summary, is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, we all know how even in our generation, you know, Everything seems to be falling apart. I'm a bit of a news junkie, but I must say at the moment, it's, it's, it's hard work turning on the news 
because of all that we're seeing going on in the Middle East. Uh, and that's, you know, the stuff that is still going on and, and horrific is not being mentioned. So we're not hearing about Sudan and Nigeria and those 200 young ladies who are still not returned to their families. All these other things going on the world over, the tsunamis in, in, in Japan, you know, all this is, is being eclipsed by events in Gaza and what have you. We must pray. But it seems as if the world, for all our intelligence, all our scientific and medical advances, all our maturity in the issues of politics and democracy, etc., etc., it counts for nothing. The whole lot is unraveling. We live in a world that seems to be unraveling. And yet God's eternal purpose, and he foresaw all of this happening, is to not let things unravel but to bring things all back together again in Christ and under Christ's headship. This is an extraordinary thing. This is wonderful. And so this, is, this book of Ephesians is, is Paul kind of unpacking that. The second thing I want to say about the book of Ephesians is that typically, if you've done any kind of Bible study at all, what is generally said about the book of Ephesians is that the first half of it is, is doctrine and the second half is ethics. And it works very well. I mean, that's a very helpful way of viewing the book. Uh, and it's magnificent. I mean, the scope of it. I said it's a bit of a Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture of a thing that it begins with. It's fabulous. But actually, I, I heard one commentator, read one commentator this week, and I, I find myself agreeing with it. And he says that actually the first half, yes, it's great doctrine, all the rest of it, but it's actually an enormous prayer. There are two specific prayers which we've, we're looking at. But actually, I agree with this guy. As you look at it, and as you begin to understand, as we are, the deeper principles of inter intercession and prayer, you begin to realize that actually, this is a prayer. This is something that is given to the church to pray back to God that all things may come together in Christ. You know, we, we don't hear these promises and just, oh, isn't that nice? It's lovely, isn't it? You know, actually, these things are to be turned around because people of God are called as his sons and daughters to remind, and that's a, a difficult word because he doesn't need reminding, he hasn't forgotten, but it's part of being in the family business to make it personal so that God's will and God's ways and God's agenda is what begins to matter to us. That's why the Growing Family campaign matters to us because it is God's plan to expand his kingdom. Very easy for us to sit back and say, well, enough, it's enough. It's quite, I'm okay. Are you okay? Yeah, we're all okay. It's not the point. That's not what it's about. It's grander vision living. So a couple of little things, you know, and the main thing I wanted to catch this time, which is new, is this idea that the first few chapters in Ephesians are really a big prayer. And so it's something to really take on board as we work through this lovely prayer diary and all the rest of it. You know, mind, be mindful of that. So without further ado then, let me read this uh, next passage and then we will pull out three prayers, four in fact, in the time allotted to me. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And for those of you who are a little surprised that I'm not going straight to Ephesians 3, where there is a very clearly set prayer, I'm going to look at that next week. But anyway, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and uh, it says this. Let me put my glasses on, otherwise I'll keep tripping up my words and my wife will tell me off. And that's not a pretty sight. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, it's, look at these, they're like the three monkeys. Here, no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Just get behave, you guys. Okay. 
Let's stop mucking about. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, Paul says, he's addressing the church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us, all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, I'm going to begin with prayer one, which is actually the last, or one of the prayers anyway, I don't know where it came in the order, uh, that we, we picked out two weeks ago, and that is pray that we may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know Christ better. Now that was a very important point in the first part of this little series within a series, Grand Vision Living. And it was this, that we need to pray that God will give us this spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better. So that's, in stuff old, that's old stuff if you like. But we really need to pray that as we come into this passage... It's like, we need, like I'm putting these glasses on so I can better able see the text. You will better able understand the text if the Spirit is at work within you, making you, helping you to understand. So with that in mind, we can then look at three points I pulled out in this passage for your consideration this morning. First of all then, pray that we may know where we've come from. Pray that we may know where we've come from. And I'm going to give you a little health warning here. This is going to be a little difficult for some of you to swallow. And I, I want to say straight up, it is not my intention to, 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 to sort of pour condemnation or shame on you. That's not what this is about. And if you'll, hold, if you'll give me the benefit of the doubt, in a few minutes you'll be rejoicing. But as grown-ups and adults here who are serious about going deeper in Christ and growing up as disciples of Christ, you need to just cop this one. The, the danger, I think, with a lot of Christians is, is that we fall into that camp where we, we kind of start thinking, well, I am all right, you know. I'm doing okay. Well, I'm not as bad as that, that chap there, you know. And we get into this comparative thinking. We start comparing ourselves with others. And you know what happens? Self-righteousness, which is appalling, which is rank in God's nostrils, begins to creep in. We really cannot afford to allow that little choice luxury, that little tidbit, to, to pervade our thinking. Let's just look at the text, let's take it as it is, and, and know that God's intention is not to bring condemnation, but conviction. If the hat fits, wear it. Got it? So, 
Pray that we may know where we've come from. And verse 3, of course, in this, and in fact, we could actually read the previous verse, but time doesn't allow. But verse 3 says this. It says, all of us, not some of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, by nature, deserving wrath. I, I did a sermon many years ago, which still sometimes people quote to me, called Crash Test Dummies. People whose destiny was to, be, was to be objects of wrath. And that's the way we all are, objects of destruction. That's where we start, no matter how, think, how well you think you're doing. Whether you're a follower of Christ at the moment or not, you know. Uh, one of the ways we get by is by comparing ourselves with that. Well, I'm not a mass murderer. You know, I may not be a saint, but I'm, you know, whatever. The reality is, as we've often said, this book reads us. It scrutinizes us. And you know what it says about us? It says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody want to tell me where that verse comes from? Dennis, you clever clogs. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And then there's the good news, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, nobody wants to sort of be blamed for stuff that isn't there. I mean, I remember, I haven't got time to tell you this story. I, I, I had one of those days where I was actually feeling, it was a beautiful sunny day, this was a couple of years ago. And I was driving into work, and I thought, I'll just pop into Morrison's. I'll get a cake for the staff, you know, because I'm, I'm an amazing employer. I'm, I'm, it's, it's wonderful to work for me. It really is. And I'm sort of, you know, walking along in the car park of Morrison's singing zippity-doo-dah, you know. And it's a beautiful day, a bit of a breeze. And as I get to the door, there's this poor bloke, and he's trying to erect a shed. It was, I don't know whether they're selling sheds or going to put things in the shed. But he had these kind of eight-by-four panels. There was a kind of a, a wooden thing, a, 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 like a little foundation board, and they had these panels like that, and he was trying to get another one up to sort of quickly put a screw in, and then he was going... I could see what he was trying to do. It's six large pieces of wood. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to help this guy. So I went over to him. I said, come on, mate. I'll give you a hand with that. You're struggling there. So we're both there, and he's kind of, oh, thank you so much. Sorry. You know. And so we're screwing this thing, and, and just in that kind of, you know, if you know Morrison's, the sort of overhang just near the door there. Anyway, all of a sudden, this manager type comes out with a sort of lanyard around his neck, and he rips into us. And he says, you stupid idiots. You're right in front of the fire door. What are you doing putting it there? Move it down the way a bit, you know. And I want, to go, uh, I want to say, please, sir. And, and the, the other bloke's kind of, you know, got this drill in his hand standing there, actually paralyzed. And, and I'm wanting to say, it wasn't me, it's not me. I'm only trying to help. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was so, so much wrath, I just decided to just take it, you know, like that. So. <laughs> and I never said anything to the bloke. And after we said, I'm so sorry, it was stupid. I was just in a rush, you know. I said, don't worry, lad, fine, whatever. So we had to move the thing across, you know. It, I did not enjoy being falsely accused. Who does? Something, the injustice of it rises up within us. But actually, the truth is, the injustice has not been done against us. The injustice has been done against God. 
That's where the true injustice is, because his created order has rebelled against him when all he has ever been is good. That is a profound and outrageous injustice. And what he says of us is all of us, the scripture says all of us, like sheep have gone astray. So that's, that's the bad news. That's, we have to take that on the chin, and we can't say, you, and if you are tempted to say, well, you know, Chris, make it, major in that a little bit, but I'm beginning to feel like you at the gate, you know, that outside Morrison's. I'm feeling that this doesn't, that, you know, doesn't quite work. For, well, I'm sorry. The Bible says that we have all fallen short of God's holy perfection. Fact. Okay. Then it goes on to say here, so the first thing we've got to do is, is pray that we may know where we've come from. Let's, let's be grown-ups here. Let's not try and bulk it and justify ourselves because that way lies death and destruction. All that self-righteous, self-justification, there is no future in that. That will get you into a whole heap of eternal trouble. We have to humble ourselves before God, recognizing that we've all fallen short of his standards, not the next bloke's standard or the neighbor's standard or our work colleague's standard. We've fallen short of his standard. The next thing we should pray is this, that we might know God's great love for us. You see, you can bear that kind of pain if you know that the solution is better. If you're not willing to accept that kind of pain, well, then the, the, the solution is devalued. It's like me saying to Dennis, hey, Dennis, um, I've got, a, a, you know, I've got a, a lovely pair of black socks with you for you with, with, with turquoise toes on it. Well, that's not much of a gift. He's already got a pair. I'm looking at them now. They're very odd. Very strange. If you, if you don't need the gift, you know, I've, you know when, you get, when you get married, I think we got three toasters. The first one was, oh, great. You know, the second one was, oh. And the third one, we thought, what are we going to do with them? Three toasters. I mean, what do we do with this? If you don't need it, you don't want it. If you don't need saving, you don't want it. It's nice that other people have it, you know, because they need saving. But I'm okay, thank you. But if you know that, as Romans says, we're actually utterly depraved, to put it bluntly, if you accept that, suddenly you pray with a new fervor. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, may I know your great love for me. And it says this in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, not our good deeds or our deserving nature or our, our sweet spirit, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Not about deserving it even. This person's really tried hard. You know, there was a, a case in the scriptures too, actually, I can only allude to one that time doesn't permit, but... But, you know, the, 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 the Jewish elders came to Jesus and said, please listen to this centurion. He has a request of you. And he's very deserving. He has done so much for our community. Please look with favor upon his request. You know, that's perfectly legitimate. But this isn't about that. It's not about the angel saying to Father God, you know, Peter here, oh, he's a, he's a really nice bloke. You know, please, please, you know, see way clear to letting him into heaven. You know, it, it's not like that. It really isn't. There's nothing that you and I have done that will win us a place in heaven. It doesn't work like that. It is purely and simply on the basis of God's gift to us when we were actually undeserving. 
So anyway, we pray that we might know God's great love for us. And as we begin to accept what we were and embrace who we are in Christ, an extraordinary transaction begins to take place. It just keeps getting better. You know, those of you, uh, if I could do a little plug for the Restore course, uh, I, still, I think there's still two or three places available for men on that course. We run this in the autumn. How many, uh, Michelle, is it three? Anyway, there's a, a few places left for the blokes. The women's contingent is already full. This is a 10-week course, wonderful discipleship course we do, based on dealing with our identity in Christ and all sorts of things that mar that identity, mar the image of God. So if you, you, know, if the, you know, please, if you think that might be helpful, talk to Linda or Michelle or one of the team. But the point is this, that as God, as, as we begin to accept what we were and embrace who we are in Christ, it just gets better and better and better. And our whole persona is transformed. And that's what this gospel is about. It's working transformation in us. So actually, we become more like Christ. You know, his spirit within us breathes health into us. And there's a lovely transaction, a lovely change. Just to bring this home and hopefully to uh, capture your attention again when your attention may be flagging to me speaking, I'm just going to ask, uh, Matt, is it? I can't see who's on the desk. Uh, but we're just going to run a little three-minute video. Isn't that great? I just love it. Wonderful. Wonderful. This is my, our destiny. And that's what begins to happen. As I said, it gets better and better. As we begin to realize that it is down to God, that it is God's work within us to transform us. So we begin to live our lives in a different way. You know, there are things that happen in our lives that in a moment transform the way we look at life. I remember when I fell in love with Flissy, she wasn't all that excited about me, which was absolutely mystifying to me. <laughs> and I remember going to, yeah, I've told you this before, I remember going and saying to her, guess what, I love you and we're going to get married. And she looked at me with a deep, deep suspicion. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I mean, they're looking shocked, but it's actually true. But there came a time, sometime later, bless her heart, where she agreed to marry me. And up until that time, I'd gone to work like this with the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, like that. What's the matter with you? Oh, I'm fine. And then one day, Felicity says to me that she will marry me. Suddenly, I knew I was loved, that somebody had accepted me. And I was walking down the street going, Biddy doo da, zippity day. Why, my, my, what a wonderful day. And I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> Once you know you're accepted by Christ, not every day is a zippity-doo-dah day. But you know what? It changes the way you view life. And we need to pray that we live our lives in the light of eternity. Live our lives in the light of eternity. Verses 6 and 7 say this. Not only does God love us, but it goes on to say, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're raised with Christ. Christ says, come up here, come up here, there's a place for you. Christ begins to dwell within us and live through us. And as that film said, you know, there are days when, you know, we don't do so well. But in that privileged place of being in Christ, we turn to Christ and say, oh, Lord, I really blew it today, forgive me. And we do it with sincerity, of course. It's not a flippant thing. Oh, sorry, you know. It's with sincerity. But Christ and the Holy Spirit and Father God are at work within us. We are God's workmanship. We're no longer trying to do it under our own strength. This is not Chris Lane's workmanship. This, the church of Jesus Christ, you brothers and sisters, we are God's workmanship. He's on the case now. He's the master builder. And then finally, in the light of this, we must pray that we might live out our lives in humble service. Now, many people actually get this wrong. They think that once you're a Christian, you've got to live a good life in order to please God. Do you know what? It's a funny old thing, but actually, you don't, many of you don't realize this, but there is nothing more that you could do to please God at this time. Because by the very fact that you have accepted Christ for who he is and received his grace and agreed with God that his son is the savior of the world, that Jesus is Lord, that actually, that simple act means that you go to the top of the class with a whole lot of other people as well. But what we do then is we live out our lives in humble service as an act of thanksgiving. You know, there are many things in a relationship, you know, Fliss and I have been married many years now, that we do for one another, not because we particularly want to do them, but because we know it'll bless them. We don't, you know, we, we serve one another in ways that will bless us. We look for ways to bless one another. Every relationship, every partnership does that. I don't keep running into, into the, wherever Fliss is and say, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> like some puppy dog. As we live together, we get to know one another. And she knows that, you know, if she'll iron a shirt or something for me, rather than me having to do it, or somebody else, that will bless me. I mean, this is a simple, ordinary, everyday. But I'm trying to communicate here that the Christian life is not about continually trying to please or placate an angry God. It's actually reveling in the love of God and living our lives out, like Jesus, as a humble servant, and Christ was a humble servant, as a means of worship as an act of worship and giving thanks you know at the moment we're all working hard to to pay for and buy a building across the road why because we want to extend that ministry of service humble service and thanksgiving because we want others to know the grace and the mercy that you and I revel in we want others to, we, we want to raise our profile in the city that the kingdom of God may be made manifest in this place. And that people won't be blandering around in the dark. That more and more people might be able to say, Vineyard? Yeah, I know where Vineyard is. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah just go along. 
You know, it says, Matthew's gospel says, a city on a hill cannot be hid. There is a physical presence. And we're trying to increase our presence and footprint because that's, a, that's one way, not the only way, that we're going to increase God's, God's footprint in this city. And that's worth doing. So there you are. Open in prayer as you consider this passage by saying, Lord, I pray that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you better. Then as you read through this, as you study this again in your own time, pray that you may know and accept. Don't push back against God when he says, you know, that you were once, you know, depraved or a sinner or whatever, following your own agenda. Don't push back against that. That is a fool's play. You do not want your self-righteousness. You want his righteousness. And he gives it generously to those who come to him. Thirdly, pray that you might know God's great love for you and live out your life in the light and benefit of that. Fourthly and finally, let's live our lives out in the light of eternity and in a life of humble service. You know, we're not just earthbound. We are kingdom-centered. We are heading towards the light leaving the darkness behind us, and in so doing, honoring Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's all stand and pray. Let's have the worship team back up. Thank you, Sam. Let me just pray. I preached on this passage. Funnily enough, I don't think I've ever preached on it with quite this, on this angle, but I preached on this passage many, many times. And I know from past experience that there may well be people for whom this is somewhat... Uh, of a surprise to you. You've never seen it quite like that or never heard what we call the good news of the gospel. And I want to say to you, if, if today is a day when you want to yield to God, that's a good word, yield to God, well then after the service, just come down to my right, your left. Somebody will stand with you, not to you know, do a great number on you, but they'll stand with you and you can simply, in your own words, ask God to forgive you for your sin. Not the other man's or your sister's or because my aunt did this or my dad wasn't there. Just own it. To say, God, please forgive my stuff. And then allow the Holy Spirit to bless you. And if you will do that, if you will yield to God, yield your stuff to him, your sin to him, and if you will yield your, your futures to him and try and live for him, you will be born again as you embrace Christ and his work upon the cross for you. So let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you to you. The great privilege of, of learning from you about these kingdom secrets that were once indeed mysteries but have now been made known to us. We pray that we would cherish them and that we would chew on them and that we would swallow them that they might do us good. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.